Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's first letter to Timothy. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Timothy chapter 2, are you there? Let's stand together. We're going to read his word, read the word to us. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is is one God and one mediator uh, between God and men, the man uh, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And Lord, again, your word is so powerful. And we pray, accompanied by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every heart here this morning. Bless our children as they are in Sunday school. and Just minister to their hearts as well. We need you. And we ask for you to have your way in our lives. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're just joining with us, we're studying through this area uh, in Timothy. We'll be going from 1st to 2nd Timothy. We want to know the full counsel of God. We want to know what his word says. And the, the theme, as you remember, is Paul is commanding Timothy, or had commanded him to stay in Ephesus in order to bring order to the church. There are some things that needed to take place. He was telling them to make sure that no other doctrine be taught in the church. You make sure it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was to operate in grace. He was to raise up leaders, which we'll get to. The importance of taking care of widows. And, uh, and then he gets into the uh, the caution of the end times apostasy. That's falling away. It's where people aren't going to trust in, in Jesus any longer they're going to trust in themselves or other things. And here Paul encourages Timothy of another importance uh, for the church in its prayer. The church, Timothy, needs to be a church of prayer. We need today, no different, to be a church of prayer. That we would be men and women, and as we'll see getting into this, that we need to make sure that we are praying. And this speaks here Today, Timothy is encouraging the church not to say, go home and pray and do these things, but Paul is encouraging Timothy in Ephesus to have church corporate prayer. Have a time set apart. Some You just got to make the importance of, of corporate prayer that you're praying together. And I'm not sure what Timothy did to encourage that. I know that he didn't make it mandatory. You can't make anything mandatory. But I'm sure that he had to set some time aside or something to think about the the importance of prayer. 
And, uh, you know, he, he's in, exhorted by Paul. Look, we got to pray, but how do you do that? So let's just set some time aside. Remember when the church first began, in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, and they, meaning those who had come to Christ and the leaders of the church, they had continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, our fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayer, and we do all well here, thinking of, of here, Calvary, we do well in, the, in the, the teaching, the apostles' doctrine, whether I'm here or Ray or Chip or somebody's filling in, we're going to break down the word of God for you. We love to have fellowship. <laughs> I mean, let's call a potluck, right? <laughs> or let's call a time of uh, breakfast, and, and you know, uh, then, then we love communion, which we're going to make communion tonight during our uh, time of prayer. That's the breaking of bread. And if communion is set apart a certain Sunday of the month, let's just say, well, we do communion, which we do it sporadically, every first Sunday of the month, we'll mark our calendars, want to be there. But what about prayer? What about a prayer meeting? And how much does a prayer meeting excite us when the church calls, ooh, they're praying and fasting, or they're praying? We mark in our calendars for that. And another, another thing that goes out along with this encouragement to pray, so Timothy, not just pray, but there's an emphasis here. And the emphasis is that the men would lead. The men have to lead. Look down at, uh, at verse 8. You, know, does he, you don't have to re- lead out in prayer. It's not a bad thing. That, I mean, you will eventually, but... You need to lead your family to the church. It'd be something like at five o'clock this afternoon, and your wife looking at you, going, "What are you doing? You're putting on your shoes. It's Sunday afternoon. Where are you going? I'm going to prayer." See, in, in verse eight, Paul said, uh, "He said, I desire therefore that the men. This is speaking of the men. It's not you know a lot of times he says men. He says speaking about or the brother, brothers and sisters. This is speaking about the men. Every pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so he's the men have to lead. The men have to make that a preference. And it doesn't mean that the women can't pray, but it takes a place that the men are to be the leaders in the church and that men shouldn't neglect their God-given responsibilities and the callings upon their lives that you would call upon God. That you would be the leaders to say, you know, we're, we're going to prayer. Well, they don't have uh, child care. Well, we're going to pray that they have child care. You know, that we're making a way, that we're men that are standing up against the tides of the world saying, we're going to. Because, not because Pastor Al said we are, we are going to because I'm a man and this is the position that God has given me that my family needs to be in prayer. And we need to be in corporate prayer. This is an investment in the church and you're, you're investing in prayer. We invest in many things, right? We invested in, in free miles to get us to some sunny area. Uh, we invest in times, we invest in cars or we invest in different things in life, but in prayer, you think of the church and how our investment is and our involvement is. I mean, we could sit, sit back all day and play armchair quarterback or armchair saint, if you will, and say, I don't like the way this is happening. I don't like the way, but we're not praying. And the church needs to pray and men need to pray. And, and we shouldn't be neglecting that responsibility. So people have said that if only if prayer was back in the schools, things would be better. I beckon to say, how about a prayer was brought back in the church? Listen, we can't have our responsibilities on our children or on, on uh, you know, public school teachers. Though some are saved. We can't expect them to lead in prayer. I'd be afraid to have school prayer in the school right now. 
But we need to be men and women in a church that is going to seek their God out and pray. Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We need to be men and women of prayer. So Paul exhorts Timothy to pray. And he says, again in verse 1, he says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplication, prayer, and intercession, and these things. So he's saying, that, that and giving a thanks to be made known for. He, sometimes I think we forget about the importance of prayer, but he says, first of all, listen, the moment we forget about prayer, we forget about the power that is behind prayer. I think that when we're not going to pray, then what are we going to do? Just hope for the best? Roll the dice? I'm not a gambler. I want to make sure that what we're doing is we're seeking God out. God, what do you have for us? And But the moment we begin to forget about prayer, we forget about the power that comes with it. And there's a lot that needs to be changed, not only in my life. I see that. I know that. But there's so much that needs to be changed around us and in our lives, in our own lives. And, and, and prayer is the very thing that has the power to make the necessary change that we can call, we can call upon heaven. First of all, indicates, as Paul would say here, it indicates that prayer might be the most of importance when it comes to the public worship of the church, prayer. And it's sad to see how prayer meetings have lost their importance in the church. If I announce a potluck or a banquet, the pastor said, people will come out of the woodwork to attend. But if I announce a prayer meeting, I'm lucky if the ushers show up. The Lord wants to spend time with his children. He wants to spend time with you and I. He longs for that. I love, you know, when, when I grew up, I grew up as a, um, you know, little Catholic boy. And my mom and dad, they were alcoholics. And gathering the family, you didn't know what was going to be at the end of that day. You know, <laughs> if you have four hours of the family, you're like, yikes. You know, what's going to go on? But I long for today, I love to have my family time. I love to have my daughter and her husband, my son and the daughter and their family there. And it means the world to me. Whether we go on vacation or they come over to the house or we go to their house or whatever it might be, I long for that. And so can you imagine God as his children come together and they're calling out to heaven and they're saying, God, we need your help. How much he longs to hear from his children. He wants to hear from us. When we got saved, it wasn't just to be saved. Okay, now I'm waiting. Well, I'm going through all these bumps in life. Oh, and then at the end we get heaven. That's not what it's about. It's about now we have restored to us a relationship which Adam lost in the garden. He walked in the cool of the day. He talked with God. Can you imagine that? Isn't that so incredible? That he's just walking, talking with God. What do you want to do today, God? I just want to enjoy you. I want to send me wherever you want me to go. Do it. You know, hey, I want to see the side of the garden or whatever it might be. But what about, you know, that's, that's what he wants for you and I is to walk with him, to talk with him, that fellowship with him, his children. <coughs> and so Timothy is encouraged to make a prayer meeting a vital role in the operation of the church. And he mentions four areas he says here, supplication. I'll just go through these rather quickly. He says, supplication. Supplications are, are requests known, are made from a deep source of a need. Deep source of the need. I just have this, I, there's, I have this need and I've got I've to supplicate. I've got to bring it in prayer. In Mark chapter 7, the woman uh, was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. 
and she kept asking him, speaking to Jesus, to cast out the, her, the, uh, the demon out of her daughter. She had a great need. So she's coming to him. Matthew's uh, encounter, his writing on this, his account of this, says, And behold, the woman of Canaan came to, uh, from the region and cried out to him, speaking of Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This woman had a deep need. And she's coming to God. And she knows that Jesus is the one that can meet that need. She has faith to, to deliver her daughter from the grips of Satan. We have sons and daughters on, on drugs. We have husbands or wives that are so mixed up in their minds because they've walked that way into Satan and the rule of Satan. And, and now they're, they're walking in this area to where they're trusting in what to get them free. And the church will call a prayer meeting, but we won't come. When God is here saying, they've set it all up for you. I have the table here, and I want you to pray. This woman had a great need. I imagine we all have great, great needs as well. And the supplication again, crying out for those who have a deep need and come to Jesus on behalf of their uh, the, the manner that they have before them. Supplication can also be, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I need provision. Prayer is what Paul talks about here. Prayers are, are directed to God, and it carries the idea of worship. So the word prayer is more of that idea of worship, prayers and worship. And then intercession is intercession is interceding on behalf of someone who's about to make a serious mistake. Or they made a serious mistake, and they're going to have to, a heavy price to pay for it. So when Christians, we come and we fall on our knees out and call out to God, and we pray uh, in confidence in, 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 uh, that God is going to do a work, and we come to God on behalf of that person in prayer. Remember in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses had gone up the mountain, he comes down, he saw the people were worshiping the golden calf, and the Lord says, I'm just going to consume these people. And then he identified them as a stiff-necked people, Right? I'm just going to consume them. What did Moses do? He even said, Moses, I'm going to make the nation a great nation. I'm going to make you a great nation. Moses, you're going to be the one. I would have been saying, I'd do away with those guys too, God. Look at them. <laughs> Moses didn't do that. He's not like me, thank God, right? In Exodus 32, 11, it says, Moses then pleaded, right? He pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great, with great power and with almighty hand? Moses interceded on their behalf. I'm sure that this room is filled with people that we can think about interceding on behalf of that are making serious mistakes. They're walking away. They're not walking strong with the Lord. They're walking into their old lifestyle. They walk away. They're not trusting God. They're experiencing the life that they want to welcome all truths into their lives, or anything is truth. We need to intercede on their behalf. And, and Paul tells Timothy, make that a vital part. And then, and then the fourth one is giving thanks, you know, the giving of thanks, giving of thanks made for all men. And I think that we can give thanks, and we should give thanks on a daily basis to God for saving us, right? We're breathing His air. Remember the ten lepers when they went out and they came to Jesus, they wanted to be healed. And then only one of them turned back to give thanks to the Lord. Only one. And every day we should be thankful, thanking God that, you know what? I am saved and I've been offered grace that I don't deserve. I've been offered mercy that I, that I shouldn't get. 
but I've been offered these things by you, Lord. So incredible. And as people come forward to receive Christ here, whether it's one or whether it's a hundred, we rejoice and we give thanks to God for what he's doing and what he's done. Paul was one who, who people struggled to give thanks for. Right? Because they knew him as Saul. They knew him as a persecutor of the church. One who was, uh, you know, they, they were persecuting church, killing people, sending them off, and imprisoning them. And, and when people saw Paul get saved, they failed to give thanks for that. They, I don't know about Paul. They saw him as Saul. They failed to realize that God had changed that man and placed him into the ministry. So here's a question really quick is who is Saul in your life that you're having trouble thanking God for saving? And then the second thing is the explanation. Paul explains prayer. He says for all men. He says giving thanks and prayer and all these supplications for all men. This is what we need to do. We need to pray for all men and for kings and all who are in authority. This for all men it includes every one of us. Every man, woman, and child ever born, they need to be saved. I mean, they can live life and they say, well, I don't want Jesus. You know, that's just, just hip- I, I don't know. There's a lot of hypocrites in the church. You know, they have all the excuses, but they know that they're still empty inside. They need to be saved. <clears throat> and, and, and it's not just for you and I who belong to Jesus, but you and I have access to the throne to be calling upon God to ask Him to change the hearts of people. You know who it was? It was people that prayed you into the kingdom. Isn't that neat? People prayed you in. I'm so thankful for my brother and his family that prayed me into the kingdom. They just prayed for my salvation and prayed for me. Prayed for all men. And why all men? You think, why do all men need prayer? Luke records this in Acts 17. He said, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now command, uh, commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the whole world of righteousness. By the, man whom, uh, by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance to this all by raising him from the dead. And so there's going to be a time of judgment. He says, listen, but Jesus died and he took the sin and the judgment for your sin. Whoever calls upon him shall be saved. And you don't have to look forward to that appointed day. I don't want to be judged. I don't want, I'd rather be cleansed. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This includes our neighbors, our children. It includes ourselves. And the people who deliver our mail, everyone. Taxi, pray for those guys. And this is why we're to pray. Because every man will have to answer to God one day. Right? people walk through this earth, they say they walk through their time on earth, I will never bow a knee to God. Well, God says differently. He says that every knee will bow in heaven. Those have bowed. You get into heaven, you have to bow. Those who will bow on earth and those who are under the earth. See, those who go to hell are going to realize that Jesus Christ is real. But it's going to be too late. You ever hear that saying, a day late and a dollar short? Well, it really applies here for all eternity. And so every man will have to answer to God. And you and I have the power, the, the, the emphasis on the church and pray, pray, we have the power to call upon God because they're blind. They don't know where they're walking. <clears throat> they don't know what they're doing. I didn't know what I was doing before I was saved. And, we're to, and then we're to pray for kings and those who are in authorities. Now you might say, you know, well, the, the uh, economy, this is what everybody's raving about, is doing well right now. I don't trust the economy. I trust Jesus. 
Here's the, here's the thing that we need to pray for everyone, all presidents, all kings, all in authority, and all of our civil leaders, that they might come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Morals are one thing and policies are another thing, but when they have a God-given fear in them, because the Spirit of God is in them, that's another. And Paul, you know, you think about these people here, Paul didn't specify here the content of the prayer, but I'm sure he was talking about their salvation, that they might be saved. Listen, if our government and the men and women in office would be filled with the Holy Spirit, then I can imagine how many abortion, more abortion clinics would be closed down, or pot shops would be closed down, or taverns would be shut down, or casinos would be shut down. I can imagine these things. But men and women have to, uh, you know, come to the knowledge of grace, uh, of the saving grace of God. But the problem isn't with our governing authorities. The problem is within the church. You see, they, the governing authorities who are not saved, are walking in darkness. They're doing the best they can with what they have. You ever try walking in a dark room without kicking the cat or the dog? Maybe did that on purpose. I don't know. But, you know, you, you have these things that, you know, they're, they're walking in darkness. They don't know Jesus. They don't know any better. You and I know better. But you and I, we have the power that we seldom tap into and we need to pray. And that's what Paul's encouraging the people to do. Listen, the church at Ephesus had to deal with a man that was in power by the name of Caesar Nero. The church is instructed to pray for somebody out there who is lighting Christians on fire, putting them on stakes just to light up his garden. He's, he's praying for, a, they're to pray for a man who has growing resentment towards Christians. Pray for him. Not to retaliate. Not to get physical. But Paul having a, a, a great, he was greatly aware of the deteriorating political atmosphere of what was happening with Caesar Nero. But he still knew the power of prayer. He wasn't fear. He wasn't afraid of Caesar Nero. Because he knew the power of prayer. We can look at the things in the government. We can watch some of the caucuses and some of the debates and all this stuff. And it'll make our heads spin. But listen, our home is not here. Our home is in heaven. We are sojourning through here. I'm just trying to do the best I can with what time I have. As we sojourn here on earth and praying. And we need to pray, too, for our governing authorities. Nero was, again, he was killing Christians, and the church saw him as a threat. This man, there's no way he's going to change him. That's what the church may have thought. But they, in themselves, weren't going to change Nero. But Paul said, pray for him. Pray for him, because God can. He's no match for God. Some of you in here in this room, uh, you know, in your own life, side, I'll never come to Jesus. I, I remember back in the day, I'll never go a day without getting high. That's what I said. I'll never go a day without getting high. I'm going to be stoned my whole life. I am so glad that Jesus interrupted that thought. I'm so glad for that. You see, this is why we urge prayer for the salvation of all men, especially rulers, Paul says. And then another reason to pray as a church to come together uh, and pray, the benefit of prayer, he says, listen, in verse 2, that we may, this is our benefit, Lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So we need to pray for the leaders in salvation. Listen, lead this quiet life. A lot of times we're out there trying to enjoy life with what, with what money we can buy things in. Oh, the economy's good. I'm just doing well. And I got this and I got that and I got the other thing. I'm just so happy. I'm tickled pink. 
But you know what? He says, pray that we may live a quiet life. This quietness of life, listen, the economy will change. Everything will change that's out there. Nothing is stable except for Christ, the rock on which our lives are put upon. But the early church, they were in subjection, all this opposition and persecution. So it was wise to pray for them. And Paul said this quietness is, you know, it refers to the circumstances around us. We look out there in the world and, and we are wrestling with things. Our nation is just divided. But how can we have quietness, this peace within? What about our own circumstances? Maybe at work or employment, you know, and things, we're just struggling with some things. And, and we'll, But we pray. And we pray for them that they might be saved, that we might have a quietness. This quietness isn't something that can be purchased. You get away for three or four days and you come back and you just jump right back into it again. Hello? The kids still need to be, you know, you know, need to be fed. They're, Mommy, what's for dinner? Daddy, what's for dinner? You know, all these things and the, the, the things will continue. So the quietness refers to the circumstances around us and the peacefulness refers to this calm, peaceful attitude within us. The, the out, around us, the quietness, the, the peacefulness within us. And then we know that prayer, Paul points out, is good in God's eyes. He says for, in verse 3, for it is good and acceptable in the sight of God and Jesus our Savior. You see, this is in, in contrast to complaining about everything that might go around them with their current leader, Nero. And they're, instead of complaining and complaining, I, I've lived through 12 presidents in my lifetime. I think six were say, or six since I came to the Lord. And I've had to pray for them. I've had to pray, you know, you pray for 44, you pray for 45, you pray for, you know, speaking of the number of presidents, you just pray for them. And again, we're realizing that, you know, God just wants us to pray because he can move on our behalf. He can do the things that we can't do. And so the church had to come with grips with the fact that the only one that was going to help was Jesus. He was going to be their help. And their situation in prayer is how they were to communicate with the Lord and trust in him and call upon him. And so don't complain and we don't, you know, not to take things into our own hands. Don't mount up arms and all of this stuff, but we're to pray. We may know how to shoot a rifle from 300 yards, but can we reach heaven from our knees? And this is how God desires of us to be a people of prayer. And God wants us through prayer to not only keep him in the mix of what's going on, but he wants us to trust in him as we're doing that. We're coming to him. He looks at us again and he says, I want my children to gather together. I want to hang with them. I want them to know that I'm here for them. And so we pray. We're to pray, pray for our leaders, pray for all those who are in authority. And God, God accepts it because he knows what he can do. And listen, it's not a prayer, a certain prayer like praying in the old King James language. And you have to have a degree in prayer. It's like talking to one another, right? We're just talking to God. And, and the more we talk, I remember my son first dating his wife. They would spend two minutes on the phone when they first phone call. Two minutes. Oh, I talked to her, but Ryan would run down. I'm thinking on my son. Don't ever tell him I said this. Don't tell him to watch this message. He would run down and he would say, Mom, I talked to her. Mom would say, how long did it go? Two minutes, two minutes. Pretty soon it was 11 minutes, 11 minutes. We talked for two hours. Son, get off the phone, right? Pretty soon it gets to that. That's the way it should be with our Lord, shouldn't it? I mean, we, we don't know him very well, so we're just, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say. We start, start praying two minutes. Then we just start praying and praying, getting to know him. We're coming to church and finding out, man, that guy ain't got nothing, you know. We just need to pray. We need to see God out. 
So we got to pray, and it's good in God's eyes that we gather together and pray. And then, and then the reason why is because God has a greater desire than you and I do to see people saved. Did you know that? Look at verse 4. Who desires all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the world, you think of the world out there, and every heart that we have, and we have a great heart to see people saved. I love to see people saved. love to see people come forward. Uh, you know, not because of me. I just love to see people getting saved. It breaks, I just want to cry every time. But the world out there offers a lot of truths or a lot of what they call as truth, but not the truth. And they have some strange thoughts about God, right? They have these thoughts about God. He's just a God who judge. He won't let me live the life the way that I want to live. And he just wants me to do what he wants me to do. And oh, he's just God from heaven with the gavel, all this stuff. Please understand, God desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. If God was just a God of judge, he would have wiped out the earth like he did with a flood. He would have just said, enough is enough. But instead he said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you that much that you're here, to hear, here today, here to the message. You might say, well, my life is going pretty good. It's empty. You might have everything that is on your bucket list, and Jesus was never made your bucket list, but you're here today and you're thinking, I don't, man, I really didn't think of that. And now the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. Are you living with the truth today? It was interesting when our time away, there was a guy at the uh, vacation condo who uh, we had a meeting with, and we were talking with him. His name is Jimmy. And, uh, you know, when you're in a conversation, you, you, especially salesmen, they pick up on these key words, right? And uh, he says, what do you like to do? I said, fellowship. And he could see it. He, Woo! And light lit up, fist bump, boom, you know. Fellowship. Because he's at work. He can't really preach. So, you know, he can't talk about it. And then, you know, me, I'm, <laughs> I'm quiet wherever I go. And so I got to talking to him, finding out about his life, and he goes, he goes fellowship, and I, and, and then he, it's a couple of key things that he said, and I go, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit confirmed me, he's living with a girl that he's not married to. And so I said at the end, I said, Jimmy, I got a question for you. Uh, do you know Jesus? <laughs> yeah. And I said, um, why are you living in sin? Because I'm not here to buy your package. You're here to listen to what I have to tell you. And he says, you're not telling me anything that my parents, my family. I said, Jimmy, you're not listening. You see, he desires you to be saved and live a life in the truth. Elaine and I went and visited a place that we were married this week. We were married in on the strip in Las Vegas, but it's not there anymore. They moved it out uh, into a um, Clark County, Clark County in Nevada, Clark County Museum and it has the old candle, uh, candlelight chapel 35 years ago, right? So we went and visited that, and we took our, our wedding picture, which I'm not going to show that to you. <laughs> and we took a, our marriage license. We get it inserted in the book because it's a historical building now. They, the, the wedding chapel couldn't make money on the strip, so they moved it uh, into this historical place that we went and visited. And uh, they put a casino up. They make a lot more money that way, I guess. Um, but, but so we went and visited this thing and, and we weren't saved in our picture. We're living together. Actually, my daughter was there too. She was six months pregnant <laughs> and, um, we weren't saved at all. And so we got to take another picture back 
and just show the, the, the difference. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We're not perfect being saved, but God changes us. He desires it all, man. He doesn't care the, 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 the life that you're living right now. He cares that you hear the message and you respond to it. Jimmy, Jimmy, hear the message. Respond. God is real. He wants to change you. And so the world thinks that, you know, he just wants to judge. No, he doesn't want to judge, judge, judge. He wants to save, save, save. He sent his son to die for the sins of the world. That all men might come to the knowledge of him. And the world also says this, right? Because you hear it. It says that, well, you know, of God, all roads lead to God. Verse 5 refutes that. Look at, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. That is, he paid the price, the down payment. He paid the price uh, for our sin to be testified in due time. For which I appointed a preacher, I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles of faith and truth. See, Paul made it clear that because he knows the world, I mean, the Lord knows the world and what the world thinks. And he made it clear that no man, no Pope, no Mother Mary, no other way can man be saved. He simplifies, isn't that a loving God that simplifies it? I mean, if we had two choices, we'd be like, man, I don't know what to do. You go in a basket, Rob, as the line is back, I'm like, can I try that one? Can I try that one? Can I try that one? I want to try that one. You're like trying on 31 flavors, right? God says, look, let me simplify it for you. That I love you so much that I sent my son. You see, there's one God, one mediator between God and man. It's not the pastor. It's not a priest. It's his son, Jesus Christ. And there, there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ by being born again. And then that just, you come in to receive Christ in your life. And there is no other way, nor is there any other hope for mankind except Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's the answer. He laid his life down. Listen, Jesus isn't just the gift. He's the giver. He's the gift and the giver. He gave his life. Nobody took it. He says, I'm going to lay my life down for you. I, I, I lay my life that you might receive it. I might, I lay it down for you. And Christianity relies on prayer. And you and I praying for all men and women should play that major role in the church. And the world, nor anybody else, has the privilege of tapping into heaven's resources the way we do. You know, you, I've used this illustration before, but it's so true. The only Phone. If you find a phone, you go get a free phone at a, a women's shelter or whatever. They give you free phones to make one call. You know what it is? 911. So only, you get a, a phone that has no service, it'll make one call. 911. Right? Because you're, if you're in, a, you're in an emergency, you need help. Without Christ, you're disconnected from God. You pray all you want, but you're disconnected. Until you make the one call, 911, to Jesus, help me, save me. Now you're connected. Whether you were saved two weeks ago or last week, you have the same access as anyone else does in this room to, to heaven. And that's why it's so important as young Christians and older Christians alike to be coming together in prayer and leading because there's only one mediator. We have access to heaven. Lord, we need you to save our children that are walking away from you. We need you, Lord, that our children are strung out on drugs. 
We need you, Lord, that, you know, we know my, my nephew or my niece and these people, we need and we need to call upon you. And then in verse 8, we see again that men need to take the lead. Again, as I mentioned, I desire that the men, emphatically speaking of the male, setting the example, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You know, we, I'm sure we all know when it's most important, or not important, I should say, when we see men raising their hands the most is when their team scores a touchdown. They're like, yes! Unless you're a Raiders fan. <laughs> Just kidding. See, when a team scores a touchdown, they get excited. Or when they get arrested, <laughs> right? They raise their hands. But Paul here reminds us to lift up your hands. And I, I love hearing this story uh, last week of, you know, we lift our hands in prayer. And it's a, it's a submission, right? We're just submitting to the Lord. A couple weeks ago, somebody gives their life to the Lord. Last week, three people came forward. And a brand new Christian raising his hands to God, praying for them as they could come forward. It's just what God does, raising your hands. And he says, without doubting and wrath. So when we're praying, listen, we're not to pray vengeance on people. We're to, we're to remember that we're to, if you forgive the, uh, men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive them, so you're not, you're not, not calling vengeance upon them, but we're calling that, you know, God would have mercy upon them. See, there, once they're changed, you and I were all in that place of bad dudes, bad dudettes, you know, <laughs> bad women before we were saved. And remember what Jesus on the cross, he didn't have his accusers begging for his forgiveness. He said, remember he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so he's looking at people that had put him on the cross, people that, well, he gave his life, but still those who had accompanied that time. And he pleaded for them to forgive. So we're not to pray vengeance, we're to pray, Lord, forgive them. The same prayer that was probably given for you and for me, I'd forgive them. So don't, not with, with wrath and doubting. And doubting is we're to pray without doubting. Remember, James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Or for not, let not that man uh, suppose that he receiving from the Lord, let him be a, is a double-minded man and stable in his ways. We're having faith in God. We're not doubting. God, I, you know, God, change my idea, change my heart, increase my faith. We're to have confidence in the Lord. Now remember, uh, Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please Him." You want to please God, just have faith in Him and trust Him. How many of you have talked to a loved one? You've talked to them until you're blue in the face. Try to get them to realize that Christ is the only way, and they're not listening. Pray. Don't doubt. Just pray. God can change him. He changed you. He changed me. And we need to be men and women of church that are praying, not doubting. And listen, as we wrap this up, just to share with you, remember what the Lord told Solomon when he had, hear, he had appeared to him. The Lord told Solomon that if he or the people would fall away from him, 
then this is what they were to do. When the rain stopped, when the locusts came and devoured the land, when the pestilence hit the people, he said this, If my people, Solomon, I'll insert, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. You see, as the Lord appeared to Solomon and assured him that his work in the temple, everything was good, he dedicated the temple to the Lord, God then encouraged Solomon by his promise that if the people fell away, that there was one thing that they can do to make things right, and that was to call upon the Lord, to return to the Lord, to turn back to the Lord. It's a great grace, isn't it? Oh, I don't have to work my way. No, we just turn back to the Lord. Simply for us, it's to turn to Jesus. Humility is this gentleness. He says, uh, humble themselves. If they will humble themselves, it's gentleness or uh, 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 gentleness to be bowed down to, the lo loneliness of mind. To humble ourselves. Humility is when we throw our hands up in the air and we surrender to the will. I don't have what it takes, but I'm going to trust you, Lord. I don't know what to do because my family situation is like this. My finances are messed up. I mean, I just don't know what to do. I try to do all the right things. We just return to prayer. If my people... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And, and yes, it speaks of Israel as a nation. It's a promise to them. They are his people. But it's, it can also apply directly to the believer. As for our country, we can't wait for America to call out to God. This should start within the church. It should start within our own hearts. That we have a desire to see men and women change. We have a desire to see our loved ones coming to Jesus. You and I need to call out to God. That's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. And men, we have to take the lead in that. And this passage is super consistent with others where the invitation is ex explicitly extended to call upon the name of the Lord. That, that all who call upon the name of the Lord, that includes you and I, that we are going to call upon the Lord. Listen, humility is where we bow down, Lord, I need you. Humility, pride is a, is, is a killer. Humility is the one that brings life. And yes, as a nation, we can look to the national results. We can look to the lack of spiritual blessing because they have turned from God, speaking of Israel uh, in this passage. But somebody has to take the lead to come back to God and it isn't going to be the governing authorities. If you and I are waiting for the laws of this land to change before we get it right with God, before we just sell out to Him, we're going to be waiting till the, the, the hell freezes over. Rather, that is the responsibility and the privilege of the church, His people. If we seek Him, it says, then He will hear from heaven. Jim Simbola years ago made a uh, just a great um, study, did a study on prayer. 
And he says, my house, reminded going through the passage where Jesus cleansed the temple, all the people that were misusing the temple. And he says, you know what? Um, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house, my people, if they would call upon me, God says, they would call upon me. I look at us being so close to the end. I look at us being there. And are we calling out to him for the needs that we have? Are we going to get on our knees in humility as Paul would write to Timothy and say, no, I've never been to a prayer meeting. I don't know what prayer meeting is all about. Well, it's just calling upon God. Calling upon God. Will we? Will my people call upon me? And if they do, I will answer from heaven. Let's bow and pray. Father, I'm sure that we have many needs in this room here. And I know, I know, Lord, in my own life. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.